Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Titus in chapter number one in Titus. You don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn to page 167, and you would be at Titus 1. You know, the world recognizes the importance and the place of leadership. The world knows that leadership is important, but there's a lack of clarity on how we are to view leadership, how we are to define it. I'm going to read you some, some statements about leadership. They're a little on the clever side, but I, I thought you might find them interesting. John Nesbitt said this, leadership involves finding a parade and getting in front of it. Interesting view on leadership. Robert Block said this, the man who smiles when things go wrong has thought of someone to blame it on. That's an interesting way of looking at leadership. Margaret Thatcher said, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't. Very interesting view on leadership. Question is, what makes a leader? What is indispensable? What is foundational to being a leader? And this is a pertinent issue. It's a pertinent issue for the church. It's a pertinent issue for a business. It's pertinent for an organization. It's certainly pertinent in politics. And some would say that a leader is someone who has a strong personality, who is successful. Others would say a leader is someone who's popular and outspoken. Someone else might say a leader is someone who has charisma and is persuasive. Someone else might say a leader is someone who is ambitious and is a daring visionary. And being a leader could include many of those things. We're getting ready to have a presidential election. It's interesting to see the view of leadership in the political realm. Some people would say this is what would make a good leader. A good leader is someone who has quick wit and is a good debater. Others might say in the political realm, a good leader is someone who understands media and the web world. Someone else might say... A good political leader is someone who is smooth with a teleprompter. And it's just interesting, over the past number of decades, the kinds of pictures of leadership in the political realm especially that have developed. Some would say that regarding leaders, competence is everything. Integrity, oh, that's an optional thing. Others would say what a leader needs to do is to be discreet with their indiscretions. Others might say, well, this is what being a leader really means. It means you get things done, even if you have to bend the rules or to break the laws. Well, the New Testament doesn't leave us in the dark on leadership. In fact, the New Testament frequently addresses the question of leadership. And if we're going to talk about what is indispensable, what is foundational to it, there are two terms that come to my mind from the New Testament. The first thing, the term that would be foundational is the term servant leader, servant leader. You know, Jesus talked to the disciples in Mark chapter 10, and he said this, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Of course, in that section, Jesus goes on to show how he is an example of being a servant leader. When I think about what is indispensable and foundation, foundational to leadership in the New Testament, there's a second term that comes to my mind. First one was servant leader, and the second term is character. Character. And that is what we're looking at today in Titus chapter 1. That particular indispensable quality for a leader of character. Last week we started our, our study of the book of Titus, which we have entitled Designer's Fashion, Adorning the Doctrine of God in Every Respect. And if you missed last week and the big introduction we had, the, the way we took all of this book and put it in context, I would encourage you to get the MP3 or the podcast uh, from our website and to listen to it. But last week we talked about the core idea, in my opinion, of the book is found in chapter 2 and verse 10, which is where we get our subtitle from, Adorning the Doctrine of God in Every Respect. And we looked at the fact that this word that's translated adorn is a word that means to make attractive, to bring the beauty out about something, to display, to dignify, and that's what we're called to do as followers of Christ to adorn the doctrine of God, to display and dignify it in every respect. Last time we talked about the, the basic themes of the book. We said part of what was happening uh, there in Crete was that they were losing sight of the importance of doctrine. And part of what Paul wanted Titus to communicate is they needed to be solid in their thinking. They were also minimizing the priority of godly character. And Paul said, communicate that they need to keep godly living a priority. And they were also living in a fog of selfishness. And part of what Paul wanted to be communicated is that they needed to be passionate about doing good. And we said last time that we are to adorn, I believe, and bring out the beauty of Christ in our head and in our heart and in our hands. And it's expressed in our head in the area of doctrine, in our heart in the area of character, and in our hands in the area of deeds. And we're going to see these things, doctrine, character, and deeds, reappearing throughout the book. Now, the title I've given to the message today is called To Character. And it comes from chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. And I'd like to read those verses, invite you to follow along as I'm reading. Paul writes, he says, For this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now, I want to give you the outline for today as we work our way through verses 5 to 9. It's going to take three steps. Number one, we're going to look at three leadership terms 
that Paul shares in these verses. Number two, we're going to look at the nature of the list of all of these qualities that he gives to us. We're going to talk about the nature of that list. And then the third thing we're going to do, Lord willing, if we can get through all this information today, is to look at the specifics of these qualities. So that's our outline. The first thing we want to begin to do is to look at the three different leadership terms that appear here in these verses. Now, when I was young in my faith, Dr. Ryrie used to tell us, when you want to try to get your handle on the content of the New Testament, if you can just understand where key thematic passages are, and you can just remember the book and the chapter, you'll always be able to find it. And there are two key broad passages on the New Testament that address the qualifications for elders in the church. Where are they located? We all ought to know this. One place is Titus chapter 1. The second place is 1 Timothy chapter 3. So notice what Paul says here in verse 5. He says, for this reason I left you in Crete. Paul had been with him. He had gone on. He left Titus behind, and he said, I want you to set in order what remains. I think the NIV says, I want you to straighten out what remains. It's very picturesque terminology. The verb here is a compound verb of the verb in the original language, or thao, O-R-T-H-O-O. We get our word orthopedic from it, or orthodonic. And in an orthopedic, orthodontic sense, what you're doing is you are straightening things. And literally, what he says in the original here to Titus is, I want you to set things straight thoroughly. Everything that needs to be set up for these new churches on the Isle of Crete, I want you to do. And part of that, verse 5, is I want you to appoint elders in every city. So there's our first leadership term of leaders in the church. They are termed to be elders. This is a word that has Old Testament roots to it. In the Old Testament, an elder would preside and govern over something. And each of these terms has a particular emphasis to it. The emphasis on elder is an emphasis on experience and wisdom. There is a second term used in this section, it's found in verse 7. He says, for the overseer must be above reproach. Someone who is an overseer would watch over something or care for something. And these terms in the New Testament are used interchangeably. In fact, if you go to 1 Timothy 3, you really don't see the word elder used there. In the parallel passage, It's the term overseer. Here we have both of them being used interchangeably. An overseer would guide and lead. And then the third term for a leader is also found in verse 7. It says, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. So there's the third term. A steward, you remember what a steward would do in, in, in Bible times? They would manage what belonged to another person. They would manage the affairs of another person. And that's what leaders in the church do. See, the people of God don't belong to them. They belong to God. The charge of of a leader in the New Testament is to manage 
the people that belong to somebody else to manage the affairs of Jesus Christ in a local church setting. What does the New Testament tell us is the number one test for someone who is a steward? A steward should be found, what's the word? What's the word? Someone knows it, give it to me. Faithful. And that's what we are to be as elders and overseers. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things about this. He said, I want you to straighten out what needs to be straightened out. That means appointing elders in every city or every town. Now, that tells me that in the local church, the leadership was to be local, not hierarchical. Not somebody else in another region who dictated to the local assembly. Each local church was to have their local leaders. And the second thing I want you to note when he says appoint elders in every city is he uses a plural form there. He does not say go and appoint an elder in every city. He said go and appoint elders, a plurality of leaders. And that's the New Testament picture of leadership. The leadership of a church is not some kind of a one-man show. The leadership of the church is to be a shared experience. See, there's no one person who's omnicompetent. And when you have a team approach of leadership, it brings greater strength to the leadership. So the first thing we just wanted to observe were these three leadership terms. The second thing we want to observe is the nature of the list. Now, here's what I know. I know that it is very easy when we come to a list of the qualities for elders, overseers, it's easy to tune out of that. Some of you might be thinking, man, this is going to be a drag. Now we have to look at all this list. I'm not planning to be an elder. I'm not planning to be an overseer of the church someday. So why do I really need to pay attention? It's very important that we all pay attention. If you're part of the church family, it is imperative that you are aware of the qualities that the Bible lays out for leaders of the church. I said this in the first service. The day is going to come when the Bruce Hesses and the Kermit Horns are no longer here. And some of you who are younger are going to be at the level of leadership where it's important that you understand as leaders are appointed, that you understand the qualities that they are to have. Now, I do want you to notice about this list something that's very, very important. This is not just a list that refers to leaders. The list of qualities we have here are marks of maturity. They are examples of what true spirituality should look like. They are really character targets. It is really an aspirational list. In other words, this is not just information for people who want to be leaders. What they're really saying is if you're going to select leaders, you want leaders who have the marks of maturity. You want leaders who display some true spirituality. And so really, this is a list for everybody to gain principles from. These these are the kinds of qualities that we all ought to be praying for and aiming for. And of course, qualities that our leaders should model. Now, with all of that laid out, let's begin to look at the specifics. We've looked at the terms, the nature of the list. Let's look at the specifics. And I want to just encourage you 
as we go through this today, that you would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Because remember, we're reviewing through what are marks of maturity. This is what mature people should look like. These are examples of real spirituality. And it may very well be as we work down through these things that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you or talk to me about a particular area. Maybe there's an area we need to focus on. We need to do a little shoring up. Maybe there needs to be a little repentance, a little prayer. So just just be keeping that in mind that the Spirit of God might want to speak with you as we work our way through here. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to grab the buff insert that you got in your bulletin today because what we've done, we cannot cover all of these things. In fact, I looked back in my notes, and when we went through this in 1 Timothy, I took several weeks to go through all of these qualities. Well, we're not going to do that this time, but we've given you a handout that's a great summary of all of this. And you know what it says? It says this in the box there, the following spiritual profile or marks of maturity gives us a practical idea of what godliness looks like. It should be understood that all believers fail to perfectly fulfill these criteria. Nobody's perfect. However, these qualities should become characteristic of one serving as an elder. And I want to give your attention to the very first item in the list there that comes from Titus 1, 6. And you notice some of these qualities are listed in both lists. Some of them are a little unique to Titus and a little unique to Timothy. This one happens to be mentioned in both. And that is, an elder should be above reproach. Above reproach. And we say there, this is an overarching mark. The key idea is integrity. An elder should not only have a good reputation, but should deserve it. And no questionable conduct is present that would lead to significant accusations or criticism. No prominent flaws. I mean, nobody's perfect. No prominent flaws exist which would give solid footholds and traction to those who would defame Christ. And I just want you to know that this this concept of being above reproach as a leader is not really unique to the New Testament. We see it even in the Old Testament era. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 3, you have Samuel standing before the people of Israel, and he says to them, I testify in the presence of the Lord before all of you, whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? In other words, he's saying, I'm standing before you not as a perfect person, but I'm standing before you as someone who has integrity, who is above reproach. Now, there's a few of these that we're going to highlight and and zoom in on and And then I'll let you read through a lot of the other ones. But I do want you to notice there, uh, after this first one that is an overarching mark, I've divided them into some categories. The first category relates to home life. And notice it says here that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Now, one of the things we learn from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 is that the Bible teaches that when it comes to the office of elder, it is an office for males, for men. 
fact, we went through that in great detail when we studied 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. And one of the things that we emphasize, it's very important to emphasize, this is not some kind of a second-class thing with women. There is a widespread opportunity for ministry in the church of Jesus Christ for women. Literally thousands and thousands of ways that women can minister. But the New Testament teaches that there is a very slender restriction, and we developed this in our study of 1 Timothy 2. And that slender restriction is preaching in the assembly and holding the office of an elder and an overseer. So when we come to this statement, this quality of being a husband of one wife, some of you who are women are saying, well, I guess there's nothing for me in this one. I can kind of tune out myself a little. But listen, there's still principles here in every one of these qualifications. Maybe you're single. Maybe you are widowed. Maybe you are remarried. You say, what, what can I learn from the husband of one wife? That doesn't, that doesn't necessarily apply to me. Now, I don't believe this quality means that someone had to be married. Uh, it would disqualify people who are widowers. I don't even think it necessarily, depending upon the circumstances, disqualify people who are divorced. What does it really mean? Well, notice it says there, literally, it is a one-woman man. An elder should be a one-woman man. And I state there that this is a character trait, not a marital status comment. It means that he should be faithfully devoted to his wife. A one-woman man practices sexual fidelity and actively seeks to cultivate a life of moral purity, a loyal husband without adulterous relationships or attitudes. He displays integrity in relationships with the opposite sex. He's not a womanizer or a skirt chaser at all. Now, why would he need to say this? Well, in the New Testament culture, it was very common for men to have multiple women in their life. They would have their wife, but many of them would also have a sexual relationship with a prostitute down at the temple. And many of them also would have servants inside of their household, and they would often have a physical relationship with a servant girl. That was the culture of the day, and even as people came to Christ, some of that was being carried along. But an elder, he says, is someone who should have a pure relationship without adulterous relationships or attitudes. I will never, ever forget how a number of years ago we had a lady start attending Wildwood Community Church, and her background and history was that of being a pastor's wife. And she unpacked her story for me, and she said, well, my husband was a pastor in three different churches, and in each one of those churches, he got physically, sexually involved with another woman. And when I would talk to him about this, he would say, I couldn't do anything about it. They came after me. And he was always implying to her that in some way it was her fault. And I asked her, did anything ever happen in any of those churches to address this? And she said, no. I just never forget being amazed at that story. You've got to be kidding me. Three churches had this happen with their leader, 
and they didn't do anything about it. And then not only that, but church two and church three never did any checking on the background of the person that they were hiring. Very important. You see, the thrust of this quality is that an elder, an overseer, should relate with integrity and discretion towards someone of the opposite sex. They should not loan out their affection to other women. They should not loan out their affection to other women. They should not loan out their affection to other women, not only physically, but mentally. Which leads us to a topic we need to address for a moment, and that is the topic of pornography. Remember, these are marks of maturity. This isn't just for leaders. And pornography is epidemic among young men, college men, and yes, married men. It fascinates me how quiet suddenly it gets when we talk about this subject matter. By the way, this is not just men who are getting involved in pornography in our day. They now say that um, women make up 28% of those who visit porn sites are women. Now, today's Christian woman online did a little survey of, of some of this group of 28%, and some of them said, well, yeah, I did because I wanted to know what was luring my husband all the time there. But it's more than that. Another survey said that 17% of all women today struggle with an addiction to pornography. It's a very dangerous issue. And do you know that 79% of kids have their very first exposure to pornography in an accidental exposure on the internet in their home? 56% of divorces, one party in the divorce has an obsessive attraction to pornography. And you see, this is a violation of being, the principle of being one woman-minded. And really, we need to address this. And, you know, obviously, I'm not asking for hands, but I want you to know something. We've got a little insert there, a salmon insert called Help for the Battle with Internet Pornography. And this is something, if you've got issues you need to deal with, or even to be preventative in your home, you might deal with it. There are, they're listing there some web filters that you can get from CovenantEyes.com and from BeSecure.com. There is web accountability available at CovenantEyes.com, where you can pay a subscription fee and have an accountability partner, and they'll get every website your computer went to in the last month. There's resources and counseling help. Uh, The book, The Purity Principle, God's Guardrails on Life's Dangerous Roads by Randy Alcorn is good. You can go to triplexchurch.com, purelifeministries.org, settingcaptivesfree.com, pureintimacy.org. All of those things can be helpful. So very helpful. So let's just not say, this is just something leaders need to be concerned about. We all need to be concerned about it. We want to adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. Now, we're gonna, I just want to highlight a couple more of the things on our list because I said we don't have time to go through all of them. 
Um, another one we have on our list is it says that an elder manages his household well. Um, it's talked about in verse 6 of Titus 1, having children who believe. Uh, the phraseology from 1 Timothy 3 is managing your household well. I just want to make a couple of observations about this. We write there, no place is more indicative of a person's leadership ability than his home, which is an excellent gauge of a person's skill in relationships and communication. The church is a local expression of God's family, and the home is like a mini church. The Puritans used to say, the family is a little church. And we go on in in there to explain some of the particular phrases, but you notice it says the core principle is clear. The home is a significant measure of one's spiritual authenticity. You can't fool your wife and children. Can't do that. As Paul makes clear, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Notice this doesn't imply the total absence of difficulties, but rather wisdom and prudence in handling difficulties that do arise. Now, You'll notice the next section talks about qualities in the spiritual life. And we're not going to look at all of these. We have uh, several here from Titus 1.7 and Titus 1.8. An elder is not to be addicted to wine. And you can read through the description on that. An elder is not to be fond of sordid gain. Even though there's some differences between 1 Timothy and Titus, there's often parallels in 1 Timothy. It says an elder is to be free from the love of money. Well, notice the description here. A man fond of sordid gain has a mercenary approach to life and takes advantage of others for financial gain. How many times have we heard that story in recent years with churches and Christian organizations? An elder loves what is good, includes devotion to all that is good and beneficial, building up and not tearing down, an ally and an advocate of everything worthwhile and honorable, including what one does, Galatians 6.10, what one says, Ephesians 4.29, and what one thinks about, Ephesians, or rather Philippians 4.8. And again, you can read through all of those. I do want to, to bring our attention to one that occurs in um, verse 9, where it says, an elder is to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And I want to just take a moment with this one because it's so close to my heart. An elder is to hold fast. It's an interesting word. It means to hold against yourself, to like protect it. See, there's this tendency that goes on in the spiritual world, to lose our grip on the truth, to drift from the truth, to depart from the truth. That is the history. If you go back and study church denominations, and you see it happening to seminaries, you're seeing happening to churches, people will depart from the truth. That's true of cultures. It's true of the, the culture in Europe and France. See, that was the birthplace of the Great Reformation. And yet there's been this tendency to depart from the truth. It says an elder should hold fast the faithful word of God in accordance with the teaching. In other words, the truth is as it's taught in Scripture. And I don't need to tell you, but today when you look around the Christian community, well, sin, that's out. The wrath of God, that's out. Hell, that's out. 
We don't want to talk about those things. And he says, no, that can't happen. You don't water down the truth. You don't dilute the truth. You don't alter the truth. You don't reshape the truth to match the modern mindset. We talk often at Wildwood about how the Bible is absolute truth. Absolute truth means it's truth for all people in all places at all times. And the elder is to hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he can both exhort in sound doctrine. The word there is really for sound is the word for healthy. That's what healthy teaching does. It produces spiritual health. And an elder should encourage. We could translate it exhort, encourage. It's the same word. It means to build people up in the truth, to teach them, listen, God is sovereign. God is faithful. God is a God of kindness. Christ died. Christ called you into his family. You will be glorified one day because of his power. He's given you the Holy Spirit to empower you, to lead you, to convict you. You see, these are the things leaders ought to be doing and sharing with the people of God and others. And then also it goes on to say, lastly, that he would be able to refute those who contradict. The idea is demonstrating to people where they're biblically off course. Do you know that every single day, I mean, do you remember that every single day we walk the face of this planet that there is a war going on? There is a war every day. And it's a war against truth that never stops. In Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 31, Paul warned the elders at Ephesus. He said, from outside of your assembly, false teaching is going to come. And he said, even from inside, it can arise. There's a war on every day. And that's why in Jude 3, it says we need to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. And demonstrating where things are off course could... Take some courage. You know, we're really under a lot of pressure right now in this culture about the issue of marriage, what makes marriage. There's a lot of pressure about sexuality, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And it takes some courage to stand up because some of the feedback we might get could be, why are you so judgmental? And we're here to do this winsomely, but we're to stand up for the truth. All right, let's just let's close, and, and you can read through all those other qualities that you have in your handouts. That's why I gave you all that information. But I want to talk about some life response as we close today. Two things that you can do coming out of this message. One is to highlight. Secondly, is to reflect. What do I mean by highlight? Well, I would encourage you, as you go through this stuff, all these qualities, highlight two areas of spiritual growth that you would just like to make as part of your prayer and focus over the next three months? What mark of maturity would I like to see me develop in? The Holy Spirit might be seeking to bring one of those areas to your attention. And then the second thing to do is to reflect. And what I mean by that is to take the green handout. It is a mini reflective survey, and we have isolated four of these qualities, just to give you a sense of how you can examine your own life and reflect on how you can better adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. Let's pray together, and then we're going to finish up closing a final song together. Father, we just thank you again for your truth. We need this truth. We need this perspective. 
We know there's a lot of erroneous ideas of what it means to be a leader. We thank you that you make it clear to us. We pray that in this church, you would continue to raise up leaders, leaders among our women, leaders among our young people, leaders among our men who understand what it means to adorn the doctrine of God in every respect. And when we know that happens, Jesus Christ gets honored. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. And as we close today, I want to just remind you, this is not something we churn up on our own. It's the grace of God that's there that helps us to develop these qualities. And his grace is more than enough.